Kia ora and welcome to Te Heringa Victoria University of Wellington, the podcast. On Thursday the 7th of April we held a webinar on improving youth mental health in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Listen to experts Dr Terry Fleming and Tanya Wilson as they discuss the cohesive approach required to ensure we meet the mental health needs of our rangatahi. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa, nā mihi nui ki a koutou e tēnā rā. A very warm welcome to you. Thank you for sharing your lunchtime with us on this really important topic. We're honoured to have some fantastic people joining. My name is Terry Fleming. Um, I'm talking with Tanya uh, Wilson from ProCare, who's a leading clinical psychologist and leading a lot of innovations in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I have some wonderful students off to the side who uh, might pop in, and we are going to do introductions, and then we're going to get into the talk about what youth mental health, so what are the needs, is there a real increase in demand, is it actually just people asking for help more, or are there really increased needs, why might that be, and then what are the range of things we can do about it so we've kind of gone for a very broad ranging topic of what are the opportunities and we'll touch briefly on the big picture things and then drill down into some of the uh, details so particularly around primary health care where Tanya is an expert in other areas and then we'll go into some specific Q&A and chat with with all of you there so firstly ko wai o, ko the edge te maunga Core the seven te awa nor Wales, England, Scotland, Ireland, or Kutipuna. A noho ana o ki te honganui atara called Terry Fleming Tokuangoa. My name's Terry Fleming. I'm going to be, because we're going to be talking about a whole lot of stuff and really sharing some quite wide-ranging opinions, I'm actually going to introduce myself more fully than I often do. So I'm an Associate Professor in the School of Health here at Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington. That is a uh, real honour and a really exciting team to work with. The School of Health is new, got some real strengths in health policy, strong links with government and planning. It has a really exciting and very popular stream of health psychology as well as health promotion, uh, some wonderful Māori health advocacy with our first Associate Dean Māori Health in, in this university and our faculty. My background is in youth mental health, so I've worked with Tanya and a lot of people on the group, mainly in counties Monaco and South Auckland, worked with some wonderful youth workers and communities and I guess I really had to learn that we needed to do new things in new ways because existing services didn't meet the needs or were not appealing for all young people. So I got involved in uh, the development of computerised therapy, partly because I think my most common statement to the kids was time to get off the computer now and uh, kind of realising we had to harness the power of that. And I had been involved in developing a lot of innovative health services to try and extend our reach. Uh, what else did I want to say? I co-lead, uh, still co-lead the Youth 2000 survey series. Those are the big adolescent health surveys. We'll be sharing some data from those today. And I, most importantly, I'm a parent, a godmother, an auntie of young adults and uh, children and young people. So I hope to share some of those experiences with you. Nōreira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Over to you, Tanya. Ah, kia ora tātou, uh, ko Tanya Wilson, ahau, uh, ko Tarawera te maunga, ko Tarawera te aua, ko te aroa te iwi, uh, ko Tumharangi te hapu, uh, ko uh, he kaimahi ahau ki Prokea Fresh Minds. 
And I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, what my role is here in, in ProCare Fresh Minds and Primary Care. Um, like Terry, and lovely to see our colleagues that have joined today who are passionate about youth health. We've been working in, I've been working in youth health for quite some time. And, and you know, my background was particularly working with some of the young people who are who really have had really difficult experiences in the past and and certainly you know I worked in youth forensics and child and adolescent mental health and we we worked in the same areas and that's where we've been sort of flying the flag for services that are actually relevant to all of our rangatahi and those ones who haven't got the opportunity or resources or support you know, we've got to make sure we we can provide services that reach that need as well. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist by discipline, but now in my current role, I'm the general manager of Fresh Minds. So Fresh Minds is a health and wellbeing service that's part of the ProCare, which is a, the largest uh, primary health organisations in, in the country. And I guess for us, it's really exciting times that we can have a whole of health approach in, in the care that we provide. So we have primary mental health initiatives, we have support school-based health services, we have a service that provides psychological support in schools, and we also are really involved in this new model of providing health, health improvement practitioners and health coaches and GP practices. But I'll talk a little bit more about that in a little wee while. Really pleased to be joining Terry and, um, and, and looking at this, how can we improve youth health and youth mental health as part of that? Kia ora. Kia ora. And um, one of the privileges about being at university is you get to work with lots of wonderful young people who are really keen to change the world and make a difference. And I have roped along two students who are young or youth adjacent who are here today who are happy to say hello to you and might possibly make comment. Uh, kia ora, Terry. Thank you. Kia ora, everyone. Uh, ko Lomin Te Maunga, ko Klai Te Awa, ko Ngāti Pākia, ko Ngāti Kotarana Nga Iwi, um, Te Puakeo, Te Whenua o Te Ati Awa, Rawa ko Ngāti Toa Rangatira in, here in Wellington. Um, and pleasure to be here. I'm working with Terry on my PhD research, which is just around this area, so drop by. <laughs> <laughs> kia ora tātou, ko Taranaki, tōku maunga, ko Aingongaro, tōku awa, ko Ngāti Ruinui, Ngā Ruihine, me Ngāti Tonga, tōku iwi, nō Manaia Aho, Ko Tatiana King Finau Toku Ingoa. Kia ora, I whakapapa to Taranaki and Tonga, um, and I have the privilege to be working alongside Terry with some Youth 19 Mahi, um, as well as about to start my PhD journey. And I'm particularly interested in the experiences of our Māori and Pacifica rainbow people. Kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you, and thank you to both of you for hopping in, and I hope that you feel free to contribute as and when you wish to, and just acknowledging it's always really difficult when you are, uh, sort of feel like you're being asked to speak on behalf. So first of all, I'd like to, um, before we get into it, acknowledge that this is a really important topic, and for many of us, mental health and wellbeing touches our lives in a really deep and sometimes very difficult way, and if this is a challenging topic for you, you're worried about yourself or worried about someone else, just want to acknowledge we are talking about 
problems with the system and things we need to do here. But there are also absolutely uh, fantastic parts of the system. Uh, things are changing all the time. If a service wasn't responsive a year ago, it might be in quite a different space now. And we will have up in the uh, chat, I think it is, the some sort of help options. And just to say, I know so many people and have come across so many people professionally and personally who have struggled and things have changed, things do change, and there are things that make a real difference. So just encourage you to keep working on that challenging area and Kiora to you if that's the space you're in. So first part of the discussion is just to talk about mental health demands. So the key point here is we've got a really rapid, like almost unbelievably fast increase in mental health demands in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and actually in high income countries globally among young people. So an increase in demand among all ages over the last 10 years or so in New Zealand, but almost doubling of symptoms of depression, symptoms of anxiety, reports of distress among adolescents in particular. So our own work, we surveyed um, over 7,000 high school students in 2019, 23% of them, so almost a quarter of students at school on the day report enough symptoms of depression that they score over the cutoff where they should be seen clinically and you would think that mm -hmm. they might benefit from a talking therapy or something. One in four. So that's not saying, hey, have you got depression, which they might have, might, you know, might be about how we label things, but it's using a screening tool about asking about feeling bad, feeling like nothing you do helps, having no energy, those kind of symptoms. So that is a very big increase. It's a very sudden increase uh, alongside that. You know, these numbers, if you're not used to it, are almost unbelievable. Over 20% report that they seriously <clears throat> thought about attempting suicide in the last year. This is people at school. And about 6% report they'd made a suicide attempt in the last year. It's really tricky because in the sector, we've almost got used to those numbers, but they are shocking numbers. And we fund mental health and wellbeing services to see something like 3 to 5%, maybe 6 7 8%, but certainly nothing like 23%. And if you look at rangatahi Māori, those needs are higher. Uh, we in that survey was it's literally 38%, so well over a third of Māori girls reporting clinically significant depressive symptoms, similar among Pacific, nearly as high among Pacific and Asian girls. So um, really high, really challenging. And Tanya, you were just going to speak about part of that's probably around help seeking and stigma. Mm. I, look, one of the barriers that we've noted for some time is whether young people, you know, seek help when they need it. And I think that's been a focus of many of the campaigns to destigmatize mental health. You know, we want to encourage help seeking. So it's okay for young people to ask for help. So I think this has definitely been a focus in schools. It's advocated by young people and those working in the youth space. So I also think we're seeing a level of need come to the surface. And so we'll, while we have a, a really long way to go to provide that right level of response to address these gaps, I think listening to young people is vital to help address that need and you know we've got to watch those the shortfall between capacity what services have capacity to to meet and the actual demand so I think keeping our eye on what we're seeing in terms of the the stats around that is just really really important thanks I you know if I was to be you know bolshie 
I'd say we have been telling people, young people and people of all ages for the last 20 odd years, hey, if you feel bad, that could be a mental health problem, you should seek help, this is where you should seek help. Actually, ideally, that should be a clinical service, maybe even a clinical psychologist. And we've been saying that quite loudly and quite strongly. And we have increased the services. So there's something like 75% increase in demand on mental health services in the last five years or so. And we have had a very big increase in service. It's about 40%, nearly 50%, depending how which bits you count, of increase in money in mental health. But actually the gap is very wide, that gap between demand and supply. So as well as essentially people asking for help more, and certainly I think of in my generation and my parents' generation, it would be much less normal to say, hey, I'm feeling depressed or I need help than it is now, right? As well as that, it, certainly there's pretty strong evidence here in New Zealand as well as globally that it's not just that, that we have got higher levels of distress and higher levels of need, not particularly of things like schizophrenia or other kinds of mental illnesses. It's the depression, anxiety, distress spectrum, which has really increased. So a lot of Western countries, especially the English-speaking countries where we have a lot of this mental health research, epidemiological research, coming through with approximately doubling depression from about 2010, mm -hmm. 2012 to 2018, 2019. This predates COVID. And in many countries, that's particularly among girls. Our girls and boys are a little more similar. We've got that happening for both. So, of course, there is lots and lots of question about why What's going on about that? And people have probably heard, you know, one of the strongest hypotheses or most advocated ones is this iGen hypothesis. A very prominent psychologist, Jean Twenge, in the US talks about uh, exposure to social media and cell phones. There are other things that are probably part of it. Children's and young people's mental health is very affected by their early childhood, their infancy, their, their first years, and we have got significant changes there, lots of parental working, lots of financial pressure, that ongoing impact of austerity policies and global financial crisis and child poverty, as we know in New Zealand. So those long-term factors, uh, as well as changes in parenting, like the kind of helicopter parenting and that, that question about do children get to explore and try things out and learn, learn on their way. Then, of course, the things affecting them as adolescents, so cell phones, social media, also increases in things like perfectionism, school expectations, and actually individualism, like uh, feeling that to succeed, it's not just I could be one of the people who does this, but I kind of have to be exceptional and amazing and dream the dream and have the biggest possible goals in life. And then the other thing, of course, is young people thinking about the future and facing really challenging climate anxiety, which is real, um, as well as concerns about housing supply, job market, all those big picture things that, that are reasonable worries to have. So um, alongside that, of course, since, since a lot of this data has come out as COVID, which there is data to suggest that really increases stress and depression in some groups, particularly people who are affected financially and jobs have gone. For others, actually, there's a sense of coming together then, and that might be different. But at the moment, that looks like that is really challenging, at least in some communities. So that's the kind of negative picture. Mm -hmm. Lots, the majority of our young people doing well, but I hope I'm not 
you know, throwing Kylie's work she's about to publish and do in her PhD in the next while. But one of the analyses from that big Youth 2000 data set, which includes, you know, thousands and thousands of young people over the country, we would like about 80% of our young people to do well. That's what we'd be expecting. And, and we'd like all of them to be doing well, but it should be by far the majority. Actually, in the data, it looks like less than half are doing what you would think of as pretty well in terms of our mental health indicators. So mm. actually a massive need. So, you know, there's all this media and all these questions about, you know, a lack of services. We have got more services, but we have got even more demand than that. I think, Terry, you know, just following on what you've been saying, you know, one of the things when we're working with young people is hope and optimism is a protective factor you know so young people have a forward looking towards the future but often that gets lost along the way and we do hear um, young people talk about their friends oh that that my mate got was really lost lost mm -hmm. meaning doesn't know where they're heading, don't know where to get support and so forth. And this is everywhere. And how do we how do we stop that from happening? How do we provide those opportunities for young people to find themselves and feel confident about their future? Yeah, yeah, thank you. That leads on really nicely into the focus of the talk, which is the what do we do part. Um, and the short answer about that is you do lots of things. So we need a multi-layered approach. And in fact, we have a multi-layered approach. So you do the long-term prevention. So that is addressing poverty, addressing inequality, addressing racism, exclusion, heterosexism, all those things that are the determinants of mental health and wellbeing that affect young people as they grow so much. And depending how you count that, there is research that suggests those early years and those the family's socioeconomic situation is counts for around 40% of the need, 30-40% of the need. If you can address that, you reduce the need by an enormous amount. And that we, you know, inequality is really important in mental health. So the poorest one-fifth of children have about 40% more mental health need by the time they're five than the richest one. So those long-term prevention, promotion stuff, really important. Um, of course, this government has put lots of efforts into child poverty interventions, changing income support, changing tax structures, but we have a whole lot of contextual things actually potentially really undoing a lot of that or making that difficult with the cost of living prices. We're all seeing unbelievable grocery mm. prices. We're seeing the impact of COVID on families and so on. So in terms of the what do we do, it's really easy as an academic to say you should do all these things and I appreciate they're really challenging and big things, but one of the things we need to do is absolutely that long-term determinants, early childhood stuff and family, intergenerational stuff where we may not see any clear benefit in terms of mental health for 10, 20 years. So the uh, next sort of prevention promoting good mental health and well-being is kind of the things that makes a good life. So young people need to be loved. They need to have people who care about them. They need to be to do fun things, sport and exercise, friendships, uh, identity, belonging, all of those things, spirituality, which support a kind of 
good life, the ability to be well, the ability to have hopes for the future, to belong and to be needed. So some of that is really important for mental health, even though it might look more like what families do and what iwi do and what churches do, what schools do, but those are also really important for mental health and wellbeing. Often when people talk about preventing mental health problems, they think about classes in schools. Let's just teach people to be resilient. Of course, actually, it's much more, the the bigger picture things have much more impact. It would be lovely if we could just do a couple of classes and that would change people's lives. Classically, there's relatively little evidence for one-off talks from external providers, although they can inspire people and get them excited and get some conversations happening. So they can have value, but limited evidence about them having an ongoing effect. In terms of schools, high-quality social and emotional education that works through the curriculum and works over time and those whole of school approaches where you address bullying, address exclusion, make sure people are succeeding, have restorative justice, all those things are really important. So in that area there has been a lot of initiatives from this government, previous governments and we need to be retaining and developing those initiatives in the face of actually two going on three years of major disruption to schools and their ability to deliver these things. You know, I get really aware schools have enormous numbers of people knocking on the door saying they want to help. So even simple things like actually supporting how schools decide which of those things are worth doing. So I guess, you know, how do we respond? And I suppose the first part we need to keep front of mind, and, and look, I've had the privilege of, being involved with um, some research recently capturing young people's perceptions and the young transgender young people perceptions of what they need and what they're looking for in healthcare and and support and they're ideally looking for an healthcare experience which is inclusive of all of their health and well-being needs and caters for the broader social needs and family issues and um, I think it's important to keep that front of mind. So if we look at what's been happening over the last 10 years, since 2012, there's been government-funded focus on youth primary mental health and screening for psychosocial needs and our school-based services, youth-focused community initiatives, peer support. And yes, of course, in 2019, as part of the well-being budget, we were pleased that youth were a target group for the national rollout of what has this long title, the Integrated Primary Mental Health and Addiction Service, which introduced health improvement practitioners, health coaches, and community support workers into GP practices. Now, back here in Prokey Fresh Minds, we refer to this initiative as Tumu Waiora, heading towards wellness. And the aim of rolling out of this model was to provide better access to health and wellbeing support and enhancing our primary care's response to this need. But most importantly, really quick access, no wait, same day access. And this is really an important role that primary care can play is to be really highly responsive. And for young people, and you know, welcome our students who are in our webinar today, don't necessarily, don't want to wait, have lengthy wait times to see someone when they need help. And so I think that's really, uh, you know, one of the benefits of of this new way of working. Now, it doesn't come without systemic challenges. And that is, of course, our workforce shortage. 
there's still a need for more practitioners with experience in working with young people and their whanau. And while this is a publicly funded service, there are still barriers for young people accessing primary care support in general due to cost or the services offered in their GP practice or young people's general reluctance to engage with a health provider. We've started some work to address this within our ProCare network, a group of GP practices who had a focus on youth-friendly healthcare. And we've seen some really encouraging data highlighting an increased youth uptake. But of course, we need to have this happening right through everywhere in primary care. So, and uh, as Terry, you mentioned, our experience with the pandemic, we've recognised that there's a need to be able to flex or collaborate with other providers to meet the needs of young people. And it's been really, really tough with the disruption to schools. And while our school-based health services, is, we've got some great data to show for those who do attend school, how well we can reach Māori and Pacifica young people. When schools closed down, we lost that engagement. And then, of course, there are those young people that are not engaged in school anywhere. How do we reach those young people? So it does highlight that if we really want to address this need, we need an array of service approaches. We know this in the literature. We know this in our the research that we've all been involved in. We need an array of service approaches, which increase the support needed, whether whanauora, services in schools, services for those who are not engaged in schools, increased support for community agencies like up here in Auckland, we've got Youthline, Ember, Emerge, Real, Takaha, Orangatahi, and just to name a few, and of course our telehealth services. So we still have lots of challenges that we do need to address. Some really important issues there, Tanya, and I'm also mindful there's some good political challenges out there around the $1.9 billion that went into mental health and especially primary mental health in 2019 and how much of that has been spent and kind of challenges and getting workforce mm -hmm. and making changes. And, you know, sometimes the health system, we can be our own worst enemies because actually mm -hmm. it's really hard to get people to change practice. One of the things that you touched on that I'd really like to pick up on is the workforce issue because there's a lot of work there and I think it's not enough. To me, we've got, got lots happening. We've got lots happening in the workforce area. There are really important pipeline things. There are lots of good things happening in mental health. And at the same time, we kind of have a disaster on our hands, really. And unless we fix up some of the gaps and get really powerful about these things, even though we've got so many people working hard, so many good initiatives, actually policies will fail or be seen to fail because of the tsunami of demand and partly because of these workforce issues. So just to contextualise that a little bit, first mm. place most people go for mental health care is the GP. Our average GP is 53 years old. Half of them are planning to retire in the next 10 years. We have something in the region of about 100 less psychiatrists than one would ideally have across the country. We train literally a handful every year. Those medical doctors, whether they're psychiatrists or GPs, other kinds of doctors, training you know, in the region of seven years now, many of those doctors emerging from medical school with depths of around 100,000 
$100,000. And actually, I have had the heartbreaking conversations with wonderful young doctors who cannot afford to find a place to live with their children. They've, they've got that kind of stage of life where they're having their first children and they have $100,000 debt. They're moving into jobs. They will make a lot of money in the future, but they don't instantly. And so housing costs kind of really exacerbate that. They can, in most cases, earn about double if they go to Australia. So we've got some real workforce issues there, some challenging reports in the region of 900 new psychologists across primary and secondary care needed in New Zealand, an estimate from a few years ago. We have seriously increased the capacity here at our university and Auckland University to a total of 14 to 16 people a year. That is not going to fill these gaps where you people will have seen in the media uh, many of our child and adolescent mental health services have 30 to 40 percent vacancies unfilled. So this is a partly a problem about mental health workforce. It's partly a problem about health workforce. We have a health workforce shortage overall. It's not just New Zealand. This is a we kind of have a global market for a lot of health professionals. So if I was to be critical, I'd say a lot of our policies risk rearranging the deck cheese on the Titanic. We're mm. attracting, we're trying to attract nurses. My very recent policy, we're trying to attract nurses from other areas into mental health nursing. Well, that's great, except we actually don't have enough nurses. We And those policies are partly about bringing new people in and attracting back the retired workforce or people who've moved on. But I think we really seriously need to up the ante there and, you know, considering policies like fees-free, scholarship places, all those things, and rapid training. You know, going into a pandemic, we've uh, made all sorts of things. Hep and I talked to a provider who'd been running contact tracing services in Northland. They'd found 11 healthcare professionals they're not needed for contact tracing now. Why aren't we being incredibly agile and rapid and increasing that? So my personal view is we need to be addressing the pipeline issues, which is partly underway, and there's some very strong work from psychology, from the psychologist board, from the ministry, from workforce staff, but also even with those changes, actually that's not going to fill the gap. Mm -hmm. Similar things happening in nursing, we need to be, and you know, here we have a new health psychology program to get that registered with the psychologist board is, is really a challenging process. So as professionals, we can be a roadblock ourselves, really being mindful that we need to have these high standards of professional training for safety, meanwhile ignoring the fact that we're not seeing 60, 70% of the people with need, that's not safe. We need to harness that. And I'm, I feel like I'm on the pulpit here, so I'll stop at a moment. But just, <laughs> you know, I noticed we had thousand-odd young students turning up to do psychology, health-related areas in many New Zealand universities every single year. Many of them want to go on. We are not giving them the opportunity. They're not getting into the right courses. They're not staying in them. We've got people who want to help all over the place. We need to be harnessing their energy. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Terry. And look, you highlight you highlighted a couple of things through what you were saying. You know, I think we we have to nurture this workforce, and I do believe there are um, young people, and it don't have to just be young people who want to come and work in this space. But the barriers to actually getting the right level of education and being able to survive on have huge student loans—that's a huge barrier for for young people. I know when I came through many, many years ago, 
few decades back, education was almost free. I think particularly for our Māori clinicians, our Māori workforce, if we really want to strengthen that workforce to come forward. And, you know, one of the things is our Māori workforce don't have to work in those low-paid roles. They are very capable to be any role they want to be, but they've got to have the right support, both financially and, and have that optimism that they can come in, into this work because you're very, very much needed. There's, there's such so many gaps in our workforce. But I think one of the things we can be looking at pragmatically is what is the role that us as workplaces can have relationships we can have with tertiary providers to provide that pathway between training and a real job that we're actually supporting young people or, or those or new grads to come through into our workplace and fill those vacancies that all of our services across the country have. And I think we need more dialogue and we need more joined up between tertiary workplaces, but we need the support and funding and investment to actually do that connecting more. And just acknowledging that there are a lot of efforts underway in each of these areas we're talking about, but I think we need to be braver and we need to be bolder and we need to be acknowledging that this we cannot be bottlenecks with all of our community who want to help. And some of that's workforce and some of that's actually about what can I do as a mother or as a grandmother or mm. as a family member? How do we harness the power of our communities, radically address the shortage? And people ha that has been done in various communities and various mm. countries. There are other things, you know, there are efficient triage models, there's blended care and uh, really powerful use of computerised therapies. So we have used computerised therapies in New Zealand, but not as much in a blended model. There's peer support, there's group work, there's new workforce, all those things. Now, I'm noticing the time, so I'm going to go on to our next little piece, which um, I won't get quite so preachy about, even though it's my area, which is digital. And the students are laughing over here. I keep looking at them to kind of think, silently say, do you want to say anything? And they're not, they're not giving me that vibe, but um, please do. So digital, I um, have been involved in the development of digital tools. I've advised on those through the National Depression Initiative, the sort of John and campaigns and those things for a long time. I just want to acknowledge that although those are not the whole, answer actually they're very powerful and important. Uh, New Zealand had 10% of the population accessing depression.org last year which that is amazing for a public health facing website, a public health kind of website, that's a real success the government has very recently announced some new investments in this space, there's the funded Groove which is a John Kuhn fronted app, uh, you can find that online and download it for free it's got lots of great content, there's Sparks which I helped develop, it's been around for for a while now, these 1737, which is phone and, and text chat. So there's a lot of these digital and telehealth initiatives. A new one that uh, some of the people on the chat, uh, sorry, on the webinar are involved with through Auckland Uni uh, and the National Science Challenge. So we've got some really good things happening there, but actually I've just done a whole lot of work around looking at that for Tahiring Ahawara and had some really high-level international peer review of that document. And when you read 
seriously need to move from funding one-offs and putting them out there for communities to find to actually having like an ecosystem or a framework which uh, has champions around it, has joined up portals, has blended care, and simple things like at the moment that planning and decision-making is done a little bit in this ministry or this directorate, a little bit over here, and we kind of need to do some of that classic strong advisory joining up policy mm. frameworks mm. so I'm just going to leave that <laughs> sort of broad statement we said we were going wide and open up to our last sort of key contact area Tanya which is more back to you again which is just acknowledging there will be new opportunities through system level reform we have the major health system reform with Health New Zealand and the Māori Health Authority coming in and you were talking to me before about the need for increased Māori-led planning and purchasing and acknowledging that services have talked about equity in the treaty for decades now, but actually the gap is not narrowing and in many areas it's widening. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, for some years, as you, as you mentioned, there's been this impetus toward a more responsive health system and certainly for us in the mental health space, the national directions and the reports like Heara Oranga, as you mentioned, the Health and Disability Review, Whakamoa, the Māori Health Strategy, Kia Manawanui, the long-term psychosocial plan, all bodes well for what we need to, to do. I guess for change to take effect, and this is my um, concern, is there needs to be the necessary investment to ensure the infrastructure and mechanisms are in place to address those structural barriers that, which we've highlighted in this conversation, such as wait times, limited serviceability, reach, particularly in rural communities. And certainly in, in my research, talking with young people, they said, you're fine if you live in Auckland or Christchurch, but if you live in a provincial town, your access to services is so reduced. And particularly if you're seeking particular specific service support. And then there's a workforce shortage we've really got to think about. We all talk about, oh, there's a workforce shortage. But what can we do to actually change that from the get-go? And as primary care providers, how can we reach young people early? And um, I think the other part of this, it's nice to see these reforms and so forth, but I'd also say we need to keep front of mind that just don't impose adult-focused frameworks on this population. We've done a lot of work around child and adolescent and young adult development and with whānau support. So we need to make sure we are bringing that lens into any changes and reforms. And, and as we've been speaking about, supporting health and wellbeing of young people, instilling hope for a future with a collective response to support that. So those are kind of the things that stand out for me. It's just a few things. Um, and, you know, acknowledging it's very easy for us to sort of external to the system say that. And I guess I've said this a couple of times already, but both we have some fantastic things happening and actually in the face of both the workforce shortages, mm -hmm. the trends in youth mental health and the impact of COVID, actually it isn't enough. So we um, pull, um, coming to a summary here, we have highlighted important opportunities and needs to keep up the long-term prevention, the, the first years of life, children, families being able to focus on their kids, knowing where the next dollar is coming from, not having to worry about the power bill, being able to give their kids a fantastic 
kickstart in life, which everybody wants to do. The things about quality of life as children grow with schools and communities and those things that make life worthwhile. Then getting into the healthcare sector more specifically, managing those primary healthcare innovations and making sure that we're not just pulling our rare specialist workforce from one area to another, we are actually increasing the total workforce, diversifying it and bringing new people in to even keep the current level, we're going to have to get a lot braver than we are right now. Mm. I would like to see us harness the power of communities. This is something that people do in low-income countries a lot of the time, the sort of friendship bench, power of grandmothers, all those things. And I have so many conversations with sports coaches, philanthropists, parents, grandparents, school kids who want to help each other and want to be part of solving mental health needs in New Zealand. And we are not doing that well. We do have little pieces around that, but if that's not done well, it can be really difficult. And, you know, I'm mindful of young people who have supported others with suicidality and needs and then are overwhelmed with, with the distress they're experiencing. So we need to find safe ways to harness the fact that so many people want to help. Uh, youth partnerships and Māori leadership. So, so just a few things kind of there. It's been a very broad brush talk and we're heading towards the Q&A part. The thing, I'd like to share a little bit of what gives me hope, <laughs> which is that we have got major investment in this area. We have got lots of people willing to help. People are talking about it and they are noticing the needs. And really the other piece is that there is a role for all of us. And you can improve youth mental health by being a good lecturer, a good friend, a good parent, uh, friendly to people around you, getting out and being in your community, having fun and helping people cope with those negative emotions before they kind of mm. build up. Then my really last piece that comment I made at the beginning that for some people there will be worries about themselves or people in their family actually just to remind you that the thing will pop up in the chat options about places to seek help and acknowledging that while we've been talking about a lot of gaps at the same time there is a lot more service and a lot more development than there were previously sometimes you have to work very hard to get help and it can take a lot of times but there are some options there to point to that. Um, having done a quick wrap around and then looked at the students lots of times but not really given them a chance, I'm not sure if you want to add anything. Kia ora, yeah, agree with the, the korero and totoko, that idea of we need this, this multifaceted um, approach. And I really love harnessing the power of communities because I think that, you know, the solutions are in our communities. And I think for a lot of people, it's just kind of connecting them together and connecting people in, I think, yeah, our whanau, our grandparents, our coaches, I think everyone is a part of the solution. Um, and especially with the workforce being the way it is and the, the barrier to even getting in. As a, as a clin psych student, I can, um, yeah, but I've had personal experience that um, I think that if we can just kind of walk alongside people in that kind of way, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Tatiana. That's a lovely wrap up. And, you know, acknowledging mental health really is everybody's business. And actually, if we professionalise it too much and make dealing with distress, the first thing you do is go and talk to a professional. That's not helpful. Actually, it is partly about what we do as community. So we've reached our end of our hui. It's been very broad ranging, uh, some really big picture perspectives, acknowledging the work that people have done that we haven't spoken to and all the hard work and wonderful people out there. I'd love for us to be able to strengthen the power of what we're doing in mental health together because we can make a difference here. Kia ora to you all. Thank you for joining us today. 
to stay up to date with our latest podcasts, subscribe using your preferred podcast provider. Thank you to Tikoki New Zealand School of Music alumni Stephen Patton and Kenyon Shanky for the use of their music. From Te Heringa Waka, Victoria University of Wellington, Haere Rā.